All right, on to our material for the next eight weeks. Inner peace. By the way, more so, my allergies are popping, and it's all in like my throat. I sound like I smoke about four packs a day, and you'll see throughout this talk, I'll shift into sounding like that ant from The Simpsons. And sorry, but I'm going to be hacking and stuff as we get going, just, just so there, deal with it. Um, and you already can or you wouldn't be here because I do it all week, every week. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the, picture that in your soul. That's what we're, what we're shooting for, just that inner peace. And so for me, I am fascinated by, I am running toward, I appreciate deeply. For me, I think more than anything else. Um, when I think about Jesus, when I think about the difference he makes, when I think about why I do what I do, that there is this, call it a rock foundation, call it a peaceful soul. Um, man, there's this thing that God can produce in your life over time. <clears throat> and it's not easy at all. Uh, but, but, it, but it's there, and I see it in the lives of people who follow Jesus. And, and that's what I want for me, and it's what I want for everybody. Um, nothing inspires me like thinking through taking someone who's a tangled wreck and helping them eventually be at a place where they have peace, a rock-solid foundation as they face the things life throws at them. And I believe that's available for you. I really do. And, and I want you to find that. So what I'm going to do over these next eight weeks is just kind of talk about some, some do's and don'ts. And I want to make it real. I, I don't want it to be churchy at all. I don't want it to be like easy Bible answers. I want to talk about real things that you can do and things to avoid that will bring your soul peace. And just take time each day to, to cover that. And what I don't get to, we'll get to the next week. And, and, and yeah, so that's, that's my vision for this series. And, and I, I'm, I'm excited about it more so than most series that I'm going to do. I, 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 I want it to be good. So uh, that's, that's where we're headed. I'm going to show you three books. I will be referring to these books and the concepts in these books a lot. Probably not like by the name of the book because these books, I've read them so much that they've kind of become just a part of how I think. I go back to these books all the time. There are a handful of books that I, that I go back to again and again and again and again. These are three of them. I put this in, in the app under sermon notes. They're already entered in there if you need to find them later. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Terrible title for a book. But man, I go back to that all the time. That book is a life changer. The principles in that book have made a real difference in my life. So that's a, just an enormously important book in my world. The middle one, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. This was written by a woman and, and has a, a, a uh, I don't mean to be sexist with this, it, it has a feminine touch to it. And you just kind of pick up on that. So ladies, you'll probably, I think you'll, you'll find it very meaningful. And I think you'll like the perspective that it's written from. Um, I like the perspective that it's written from. Read it all the time. Think it's enormously important and an important uh, book. So, so that's another book that I go back to and refer to throughout this series. And then there's Healing the Shame that Binds You. 
Now, this book is written by a man who is um, actually, he's, he's a little bit anti-church. He's not a Christian. But the principles in that book, the real-life psychological principles have helped me so much. And I don't even have like a traumatic past. I really don't. But they've helped me a lot. And I think if you do, if you have some wounds and some scars and things, that, that there's a lot in that book that I go back to all the time and, and benefit from. So those are just, from the beginning of this thing, those are three practical resources that I think will, will help you out a lot. All right. <clears throat> now... On to some do's and don'ts. And I have three principles that I want to hang out in today to get this series kicked off. First, inner peace doesn't come from trying. Inner peace does not come from trying hard or from acting calm or from faking like you have it. Remember that, um, was it Seinfeld? Serenity now! Like that. I, I, I think a lot of people, when they think about inner peace, they, they substitute finding true inner peace with, with a kind of like, okay, I'm just going to act calm. And I want to caution against that. I think there is a big difference between truly being at peace and learning how to act like you're at peace. And I think acting like you're at peace when down deep you're really not is devastating to your soul. So here's a picture of, uh, of uh, this, this is the kind of picture that immediately takes me back to my childhood. My family would go to Canada once or twice a year and spend a week at a time on the lake. And in the morning, me and my dad would go out. My dad's actually in Canada right now fishing, and I'm very jealous. In the morning, we would go out, and we would hit the water, and we would go to our, our spot in the bay across the lake from where we, from our cabin. And the water was like glass. And if the temperature was right, there would even be like a mist coming off the lake. And the only evidence, you would see loons, the Canadian loons swimming across the lake, and that was the only evidence that you weren't even like just sitting on a mirror. So peaceful, so perfect, water like glass. Oh, I'm going to stop. Pause this. Pause. Okay, we're going to come back to that. I heard baby Sydney, didn't I? Okay, so turn, can you get to the lights, Andy? This is a moment. This is a Polaris moment. All right, so Chris and Kayla, Chris Beebe, Kayla Campbell, now Chris and Kayla Beebe. This is, Sydney is our first Polaris thoroughbred that I'm aware of. Okay. Chris and Kayla both grew up at Polaris. I think you were both in my youth group. Sorry, and you made it somehow when I was youth pastor here. They met at Polaris. Now they're married and have produced baby Sydney, making baby Sydney the first Polaris thoroughbred. And baby, this is her first Sunday here. So congratulations, guys. 
now that we've thoroughly woken her up and scared her. Okay, now, back to, back to, the, um, back to the water idea here. There was nothing like the peace of the, of the water calm. Later on in the day, as the activity on the lake picked up, and as the wind did its thing and the weather did its thing, you could get even like white caps on the lake, rough waters. There was simply no way to try to manufacture, right? It would be maddening if you were out there trying to push down the water, right? Like, I, w- I want this glass water back. And, you know, that's just, it's, it's ridiculous to think about. In fact, you'd probably stir up the water worse. I've come to believe that true inner peace is no different. That true inner peace is a result of the stimuli around you and of how you approach life. Not something that you can quickly, like, somehow manufacture. So so it actually hurts. It makes things worse when you try to produce that calm in your life when it's not really there. I have a lot of pastor friends, and, and we'll get together, and, and, and for whatever reason, I've just kind of learned to accept that I, this is the effect that I have on people. They get pretty deep pretty quick and pour out their souls pretty quickly with me, whether I'm in the mood to hear it or not. And just, and and so I'll be sitting here with these with these pastors, and and inevitably find myself like one on one with them, and it doesn't take long before they just start to pour themselves out. And so often it's it's you know marriage stuff and parenting stuff and finance stuff and church stuff. And one of the problems that makes it all worse is that they are expected in their church environment to show a calm front like everything is okay and i've come to believe that 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 that's it's just devastating to your soul when you do that and yet there are a lot of church cultures and I don't think Polaris is this. I'm saying this so that you examine, examine your tendencies. Because you may have grown up in a family or in a church or some kind of religious environment where you are expected, like the right answer is to be at peace and to be okay. And so you've sort of learned to play the game whether or not down deep really is. Some of you might not even know the condition of what's going on down deep because you're used to projecting something else. We had a pastor at Polaris used to drive me nuts. He would tell people when they talked about their anxiety, well, you know, worry is a sin. And I'm like... What a fantastic way to fight anxiety. Guilt. (laughs) Nothing puts your soul at rest like a heaping dose of guilt. But but unfortunately, that's there's there's plenty of subculture in in the world that says, no, you just just be okay. 
And I don't play that game. And I don't want you to play that game. I mean, I'm all for optimism. I got a Browns jersey on. I'm all for optimism. Actually, I'm not all that optimistic about the Browns this year. I, but, um, like, I think it's important to have a positive outlook. But at the same time, I think the first thing you got to do if you really want to find true inner peace is to be deeply in touch with what's going on and, and not try to produce it, not try to fake it. Instead, you, you get good at finding things that produce peace and avoid things that wreck peace. But oh my gosh, don't try to project like you have it when you don't. So that's principle number one. Inner peace does not come from trying hard to have it. And if you continue to try hard to have it, deep down you're going to look and, and you're just, it's just, it's a recipe for disaster. Eventually, it's going to catch up. And you're going to realize you don't. And it's going to produce a crisis. So let's start by being real with where you're really at. Okay. Now, let's move to principle number two. You won't find inner peace until you start with inner. You won't find peace down deep beneath it all until you start beneath it all. Take a look at this creepy picture. That's an iceberg. I'm, I'm, for whatever reason, I have this thing, like I have this phobia of, um, of what's beneath the water. And, and I don't really know why that is, but, but, but that, that's a creepy picture. Supposedly, that's what you're looking at when you look at an iceberg. You see the tip of the iceberg, thus the phrase tip of the iceberg, which implies that below the water is this giant, like, like, 80% of the real thing. And you are doing yourself a disservice. It's called image management. When you're only looking to what's sticking out. Because all that is is a small portion. The heart, the core, is down much deeper. And when we look at Jesus, if you say you follow Jesus and value Jesus... He always started by exposing the core, by exposing what's down deep. Jesus started down deep. You and I should start down deep if we want to ever find the peace that only Jesus gives. It comes from what's below the surface. So, some Bible examples here. There's a haunting story. It's both endearing and haunting. In Mark chapter 10, it's in most of the Gospels. This is the Mark 10 version. <coughs> and Jesus was setting out on his journey, and a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. 
Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. So, what we have is one of the halves of society who seems to have it together externally. He even is able to tell Jesus, I have always valued sort of the core components of Jewish life. So he approaches Jesus. He wants to know about that, that, that final stamp of approval. And he affirms to Jesus, I do all the right things. And Jesus looked at him, loved him. He looked at him and he loved him like he was for him. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. <clears throat> now, if we were to briefly break this down. Jesus does not typically tell somebody to sell everything. What he was doing here is exposing this man's heart. This man said on the outside, I have it all together. Tip of the iceberg, I have it all together. With one simple request. I shouldn't say simple, that's not a simple request. But with one short request, Jesus exposed that this man's heart was not truly wholly devoted to God like he seemed to think some of his outer actions suggested. Do you see the way Jesus cut to the chase? Like it was pretty quick. Jesus immediately went straight to the man's heart. That's what Jesus does. <clears throat> I um, have an acquaintance we have a mutual friend, and I was at this mutual friend's house and, and uh, was talking to this acquaintance, and I knew that his life was struggling, that his marriage was miserable, that his kids were in and out of the detention center. Uh, I knew he was, he was struggling. And we were talking, and I just said, so what's new? And he proceeded to go on this churchy, oh, everything's great, one of those things, you know. And then he said, and I'll never forget, he said, just, just joy in the journey, man, just joy in the journey. I'm thinking, hey, what I'm hearing. But I didn't, you know, I didn't press him, I don't know him well, I'm not, you know, I've been invited into his life like that. But that's that that's that thing where I think Jesus would have exposed pretty quick. No, not really. Not really. I got another uh, a pastor friend who is very difficult time for the past five years or so at his church, so much so that they brought in a consultant from their denomination. And he said this consultant is going through everything. This team of consultants, they're like talking about all the church leaders, all the elders, they're talking about their marriages, their parenting, their finances, all the systems at the church digging down deep. And he said, <clears throat> man, it's just easier to be dysfunctional. 
It's just easier to be dysfunctional than to dig down deep like this. But what I'm telling you, and, I, and I've seen this time and time again in my own life and in the lives of others, that inner peace, I'm not talking about a Band-Aid. I'm not talking about the peace that comes from getting out of a mess. I'm talking about true inner peace and strength comes when we start down deep. Jesus started down deep. He started with the core. In Matthew 23, Matthew records Jesus talking with the religious leaders of the day who looked the part. They dressed the part, they looked the part, they spoke the part. They even outwardly acted the part. They were called scribes and Pharisees, and Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Nobody badmouthed the Pharisees. Hypocrites, for you're clean, you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So Jesus is, is, is immediately, and Jesus doesn't talk like this to many people, but he calls out the heart. He essentially says to you and I, you know that you as a human being have the ability to project. You can project peace and you can project perfection and you can project like you have it all together. But it's extremely spiritually dangerous when we live like that. True inner peace starts when we start to dig down deep and deal with what's truly going on in our inner being below the surface of the water. One last principle for today. <clears throat> Inner peace comes from seeing what God sees. Here's the implication. You got to look down deep. But you also have to look down deep and see yourself the way God sees you. You look down deep and you see yourself the way God sees you. So I want to read you from um, Luke chapter 7. This is a beautiful story about looking down deep and seeing what God sees, okay? Once, one of the Pharisees, so remember those were the same people that Jesus said, woe to you for your like whitewashed tombs, your really clean mausoleums. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner... That means she was a prostitute. When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, 
brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. So how does she see herself there? Is she proud of herself in her past? No. She sees herself and she's wrecked by herself. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, if he really knew what was going on here, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. In other words, if Jesus really knew her, if he was really a prophet, he would have known the condition of her soul and had her leave the house. Jesus doesn't understand who she is. So Jesus launches into this story, and he concludes down in verse 44. This is an incredible statement. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, the Pharisee, Do you see this woman? Do you, Simon, see this woman? The accusation on the table is, I don't see her. Do you see her? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, yes, I see them, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. What we see here. <clears throat> Jesus looked down much deeper than anyone in that room at this woman who had ruined her life. And he loved her, and he saw something better in her than she saw in herself or that the others around her saw in her. And he called out something better from her. Let me real quick go to this story in, um, in Matthew chapter 21. <clears throat> Very famous story. One of the few times Jesus truly just, just flips out. It's in Matthew 21. I can't find it. Let me just read it here. I'm going to cheat. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Now, whenever we see the temple in scripture, we're seeing the ultimate symbol of us. It was never about the temple. The temple was showing ourselves what God wanted us to be, the dwelling place of God. And Jesus storms into this temple and he sees the core of the temple that it was meant to be, the house of God, my Father's house, a place of prayer, a place of of connection between humans and God. And he cleanses it, 
calling out a greater purpose, a greater vision. When God looks down deep at us, he sees something greater. And he calls out a greater vision. And I believe the true inner peace starts when we look down deep for what's going on down deep. But first and foremost, we see God's vision for us. And we hear his call of love to something greater. And we realize this is who I am up to this point, and it ain't pretty. But God still sees value. He still sees something greater, and he calls out something greater. So we're going to have a time of communion right now. I really want you to let this be a time of reflection where this stuff sinks in. This is just the first step. I want you to promise God and yourself that you will never fake anything, that you will never fake peace, that you will always be aware of what's really going on down deep. All the fear, all the pain, all the doubt, all the frustration, all the sin. That you're going to be aware of who you really are down deep and what you're really feeling down deep. And you're going to always look below the surface, but you are going to fight to see yourself the way God sees you. Because scripture is clear. God wants you at his table. And he has a better vision. He knows who you are, and he has a better vision. And just like that woman, he says, I see you. Do you see you? Do you see what I see in you? A greater vision for who you can be. And you're going to let God's vision for you be the cornerstone for inner peace that you build around. It's never about doing anything or earning anything. It's your identity that comes from God. And that's the corner piece for inner peace that you build around. If you want to take part in, um, in this ritual, the bread stands for Jesus' body that he gave on the cross for you because you're worth it to him. And the cup stands for his blood which he shed on the cross for you because you're worth it to him. And you take that as it's past and remember that at the core of your being, God wants you at his table. And if you're not ready for that, then you can just pass it down the road. But I hope you'll take this as a moment to contemplate that down deep in your innermost places, God sees you and he loves you. And at the end of the day, nothing else really matters. Let's pray. Father, give us peace that comes from knowing you and knowing who we are in your eyes. Worth enough for you to come and die in our place. Overwhelm us with that peace as we sit at your table as we breathe at your table, enjoying your company. In Jesus' name, amen.